Hello and welcome to this GCP short produced in collaboration with EY and all about getting transfer pricing right and the various considerations when allocating premium. Over the next 18 minutes, I am joined by Mikkel Rabstein, partner and America's Captive Insurance Services co-leader, and Nicole Henderson, Financial Services Transfer Pricing Senior Manager, both at EY, to discuss these issues as well as how transfer pricing is currently being scrutinised and thought about by the IRS on both international and domestic captive programmes. If you would like more information on the EY Global Captive Network, then do visit their Friend of the Podcast page on the captive intelligence website there are links in the episode show notes so nicole let's start with a pretty basic explainer for our listeners who may be new to this topic what is transfer pricing in the context of insurance and captives absolutely richard and thanks so much for having me here today so strictly speaking Transfer pricing looks to ensure that prices charged between related parties are arm's length. And arm's length really means that the price agreed in a transaction between two related parties is the same price that's agreed in a comparable transaction between two unrelated parties. So if you think about applying these rules in the basic insurance context, premiums paid to third-party insurance companies are inherently arm's length because the transaction is between two third parties. But if you think about that in the captive context, transfer pricing really looks to ensure that the premiums paid for insurance policies placed through the captive, which is a related party, are arm's length, and also that the premiums are allocated amongst the group based on the benefit received. In addition to just looking at the premiums, other intercompany transactions that could be reviewed from a transfer pricing perspective often include sales commission or referral fees kept by a company offering insurance policies to customers. An example of that would really be in the extended warranty space. Fantastic. And we do see a lot, uh, a lot more uh, activity in that extended warranty space in, in recent years, you know, using captive. So that's certainly relevant to think about. We talk a lot about BEPS, um, the base erosion and profit shifting projects um, kind of initiated by the OECD. And we talk a lot about BEPS and transfer pricing in the European context. And we've had your colleague, uh, Jenny Coletta, partner based in London, a, a couple of times on the pod over the last few years discussing it. What is the US point of view here and, and in what situations is it important to understand uh, BEPS and transfer pricing and, and to get it right? Um, so similar to what's observed in Europe, the IRS really is inherently skeptical that multinational companies are using transfer pricing to shift profits across country borders and especially to low-tax jurisdictions. The IRS has recently announced in public meetings that it intends to launch more substance-related inquiries as part of their transfer pricing audits. So as part of these inquiries, there will be a focus on whether transactions are entered into a for a business purpose other than just tax, which is definitely in line with the spirit of BEPS and what you would have heard during your discussions with Jenny. An emphasis should really be placed on understanding the functions performed by the captive and how risks are managed, and importantly, where those risks are managed, as well as the interaction of other members of the multinational group. So you touched on that there, Nicole, but obviously IRS does have some interest here. What What is specifically the interest IRS have in transfer pricing and I guess importantly the documentation to support it? Transfer pricing is really important from a federal tax perspective to ensure that the correct amount of tax is paid to the IRS. 
Um, in addition, demonstrating that the arm's length behavior between the captive and insureds really helps to support risk transfer and that a captive abides by the notion of commonly accepted insurance. And that test is an important factor when analyzing if a captive meets the definition of an insurance company from a U.S. tax perspective. And if you think about transfer pricing and how that's affected captives historically, it's not an area that's previously garnered much attention from multinational companies. Um, but that being said, the IRS has hired and will continue to hire in 2023 additional agents and attorneys to perform audits related to transfer pricing. And that includes an area called economic substance. And the goals of those audits really is to ensure that the IRS is taxing the appropriate amount of profits in the U.S., so as part of these audits, the auditors will look to assess that intercompany transactions are conducted on an arm's length basis, and also that there's the appropriate substance to make decisions for the captive. One of the important things in terms of documentation is that documenting this analysis really places the burden of proof from the taxpayer back to the IRS. And in the absence of that support, the result could be that there's a tax assessment and or related penalties. So, Nicole, where then does actuarial reports uh, come into supporting efforts to getting transfer pricing right? Are there are actuarial reports and and transfer pricing documentation are they mutually exclusive? Do they support each other? Is is there kind of a silver bullet here? Really great question, Richard. So, when we're doing a transfer pricing analysis, we do look to the actuaries to price the premiums and also rely on their assumptions. But an actuarial analysis does not replace a transfer pricing analysis. Actuaries have to make significant assumptions, which comply with actuarial standards, but they may not be consistent with the arm's length behavior. So if we give an example, an industry-wide expense loading may be used by the actuaries if there's lack of historical data and potential high severity if a claim needs to be paid. However, the transfer pricing regulations stipulate a higher degree of comparability in the analysis. As a result, Additional benchmarking may be required from a transfer pricing perspective to support the loading for the same level of market and comparable risk insured. Similarly, while actuarial analyses will address the correct premium pricing in the loss reserve corridor, it will most likely not address the appropriate premium allocation between multiple insureds, especially if the only other specific facts present that may negate a general way of allocating premiums um, may be used by the market more broadly. And an analysis of the functions performed is really critical in these analyses, as well as supporting the substance and the captive that we spoke about above. So sadly, Richard, there's no silver bullet, but at a minimum, to support the arm's length nature of the premium, multinationals will really have to explain that actuarial analysis in a manner in which the tax authorities can understand by demonstrating that the results of the actuarial analysis are also arm's length in nature and that the assumptions of profit margin are consistent with market observations. And we found that in many cases, it may be helpful to prepare a simpler transfer pricing analysis that the tax authorities globally can really understand based on their prior experiences. And that's helpful in the case that the premium deducted is challenged. That simpler analysis could be done by using third-party benchmarks to further support that the pricing is consistent with the pricing that could be found in the open market. So we've been focused uh, initially more on the IRS and, and kind of how they're interpreting and acting upon transfer pricing uh, in the US. Considering multinational corporations, often they're dealing with you know tens, if not hundreds of tax authorities all around the world uh, when it comes to dealing with their captive and, and, the, and the transactions dealing with their captive. Um, what are the key, and I guess there could be lots of these, Nicole, but what are the key transfer pricing considerations right now for that kind of multinational class of company using captives? 
absolutely are a couple of them. It's important to ensure that premiums between the captive and insured are priced on an arm's length basis. So this analysis is important to do both when the captive is established and also on an annual basis. And then next, if you think about you know, what transfer pricing could be used for outside of just the compliance aspect. It could also be a useful tool for captive owners and managers. Um, in the absence of any sort of historical data on certain risks insured by the captive, transfer pricing can be really helpful to find market comparables in the open market that can help analyze various components of the premium, including both the profit margin and the expense loading. Next, it's important to understand if the captive has appropriate substance and also active decision-making over the risks that it insures to recognize the forecasted level of profit in the captive. And really, without this ability to actively manage the captive and its related risks, the profit in the captive could be challenged by tax authorities. And then lastly, as we've noted earlier, once it's determined that the premiums are arm's length, they then need to be allocated between the entities that actually benefit from the insurance policy on an arm's length basis. Yeah, plenty to, to get right and to consider then. In terms of the US federal and state level, of course, in the US, insurance is very much regulated at state level. And of course, there are different uh, taxes at state level as well concerning insurance. What does all this mean in the, in the US federal and state level context? Is, is transfer pricing relevant if we're talking about domestic only captive programs? Well, the higher focus is definitely on multinationals. Transfer pricing is still relevant to domestic-only groups and their captive programs. For many U.S.-based companies, they choose to elect to have their captive to be taxed as a U.S. taxpayer, even if it is in a foreign jurisdiction. But Richard, even in these cases, transfer pricing can be used to support that risk transfer occurred and also that the captive is treated as an insurance company for U.S. tax purposes. Transfer pricing helps to support the accelerated tax deductions in year one as an insurance company or when a new product is added to the captive. And then also, if we think about how transfer pricing applies in the state context, a good number of states apply transfer pricing principles under the Internal Revenue Code in their state laws. And so as a result, ensuring that the premium is arm's length and allocated amongst the group could impact the amount of state tax due. And we've seen some states, including California in particular, um, taking an active audit position against captives to ensure really that they are able to collect the correct amount of state tax. You know, and Nicole, that, that is a great point. Um, a lot of times the answer at the state level may be that the captive itself is not subject to tax. However, while that may be the right answer, taxability of captives at the state level can be an entirely separate discussion and, a, and assured. But the impact of properly allocated premiums to each insured sometimes goes overlooked, and it, it is such allocation that may impact the actual state tax liability for the insured. Thanks, Mike. So um, let's talk about recharging premiums then. It's not a phrase when we were talking about this episode, Nicole, that I'd come across much, actually. So this is quite a new area for me, recharging premiums. What, what does it mean, and, and what's the importance of allocating the premiums correctly when it comes to, I guess, different parts of the group? So if you think about it, oftentimes multinational groups might purchase an insurance policy by one entity just for administrative ease, but that policy really is for the benefit of the overall group. So once we first determine that the premiums are arm's length, you then need to allocate out that premium to further members of the group that actually benefit from the risks incurred. And when you're undertaking that analysis, a couple of main things need to be considered. First, what are the risks covered by the policy? Two, what are the beneficiaries of the insurance, meaning what are the entities that actually benefit from the coverage paid? Three, what's the global supply chain of the company? And then four, also, what's the global transfer pricing policy of the group? 
So Richard, maybe just to contextualize this, if we give an example of business interruption risk, um, multiple entities throughout a global multinational could be impacted by a business interruption and benefit from an associated insurance policy you know, purchased by one member of the group. And the extent to which each entity benefits from a policy's coverage may depend on the group's global supply chain and also the general transfer pricing policy to remunerate the related party transactions amongst the group more generally. So, for example, an entity that's an entrepreneur that receives residual profits and losses will be affected disproportionately by the business interrupted compared to entities that are remunerated on a fixed return regardless of the profits. And so all of these factors really need to be taken into consideration when premiums are allocated to determine really the benefit um, that each of the entities of the group receive from the insurance policy. And captive premiums need to be allocated based on individual risk in the respective beneficiaries. The real risk is if premiums are not allocated or not allocated correctly, the deduction taken on the tax return for the premiums paid to the captive could be either be challenged or even disallowed. Nicole, thank you for bringing up that point. A lot of times this kind of goes overlooked. There's an accepted methodology of allocating premiums for many lines of coverage, and market participants know that. For some companies, that may be a very good starting point. For some, it may even be the end point. The methodology accepted in the market may be valid and used to allocate the premium. However, if any special facts are present, such as the ones, Nicole, you just mentioned, such premium allocation may not be as straightforward as counting the number of cars or square footage of the building. It may be a lot more complex. So on those um, recharge premiums then, uh, an area we have discussed a bit on the podcast before is IPT, insurance premium tax. And I know that uh, IPT is called different things, like lots of things in our world. It's called different things in different places. Sometimes it's simply VAT on insurance premiums. But in this context, let's refer to it as IPT, insurance premium tax. What are the IPT implications on recharged premiums? So similar to talking about allocating premiums, if the premiums aren't allocated or not allocated correctly, it really could lead to the misreporting or underpayment of certain taxes, um, including IPT. So insurance companies are subject to a variety of taxes, including IPT, as you know, which is a tax levied by the governments on the premium and charge to the insured entity. So captives or captive owners are required to self-assess the amount of IPT due and then also file a tax return in over 30 jurisdictions that have IPT requirements. In the absence of doing that, the underpayment of taxes could carry a financial, and in some cases, reputational risk. And I could not agree more here. While main focus is typically on the captive program and coverage, some of these taxes are not intuitive. In situations where a globally purchased program premium gets allocated to various jurisdictions, local laws need to be reviewed to make sure all appropriate taxes are paid. Such taxes are in place for various reasons. One of the main reasons is to mitigate the loss of revenue that occurs when a premium is recharged to a subsidiary in a particular jurisdiction versus such subsidiary simply going out and buying coverage locally. Such purchase locally would result in a local insurance carrier paying tax on its profit or premiums collected. However, in a recharge situation, such tax is not levied and collected by the foreign jurisdiction and therefore There are other workarounds that certain jurisdictions created in order to collect a tax in lieu of that direct tax on the local carrier. So one part of this tax puzzle we haven't addressed, but we did actually talk about this, Mike, in in a great episode. Um, I think it was 
early last year or maybe even the year before but it's one of our most listened to episodes that year on self-procurement taxes in the united states kind of state by state how does this conversation you know regarding allocating premium transfer pricing recharge premiums how does that impact the self-procurement tax you know calculations liability does the transfer pricing work support this work as well or is there kind of other work to be done or a balance to be struck? That was a very interesting question. And we used to joke that the 800-pound gorilla in a room is really federal tax. However, in the recent years, the 800-pound gorilla in a room is really figuring out these indirect taxes. And self-procurement tax or direct placement tax, as some people call it in the U.S., is one of the main ones that is still presenting a struggle. Unfortunately, the self-procurement tax or direct procurement tax is where it gets really hairy when you talk about allocating premiums and transfer pricing. As most of our listeners probably know, self-procurement tax is assessed on the insured that procures coverage directly from an affiliated insurer, such as a captive. While different states have various laws on self-procurement tax and how those laws apply, the general rule is that self-procurement tax is based on a policy-by-policy approach, and it requires understanding the location of the home state for each policy. In an affiliated group, such home state may actually vary from policy to policy. Properly allocated premium may actually shift such home state from a particular po- for a particular policy, depending on facts and circumstances. Going back to what Nicole explained in, around special facts and circumstances and how transfer pricing may allocate premiums differently than a traditional allocating method, this will be a direct impact. There's definitely a balance here between accepted industry standards actuarial analysis and transfer pricing methodologies, but neither should be ignored. No one size fits all answer, unfortunately here, and that is why each company needs to take into account its specific facts, technical merits, and of course its ability to support the position that will ultimately be taken, including the efforts needed to pull together the appropriate and defensible position across the board.